Last summer, our family, you have, have heard, I've told parts of this story from time to time, we're on vacation out west. We went to Zion National Park in Utah uh, and decided to hike Angel's Landing. And some of us finished that hike and some of us didn't, but we don't need to rehash all that right now. But Angel's Landing is known as one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous, hikes in the United States. We actually had friends... We were there earlier this summer, and the week after they left, someone actually fell to their death. They, they went out by themselves late one evening, and they, they never came back. So you can imagine the National Park Service has put up all kinds of warning signs because of this. Uh, when we went there, there was one that said something along the lines of, 15 people have died here in the past 20 years, so you want to really be careful on this hike. Uh, when our family lived in Boone, we would frequently go to Linville Falls and walk out to the, the falls, which is a, a much easier hike um, than, than Angel's Landing. But you can also hike there down in the Linville Gorge. And Linville Gorge is actually a wilderness area, and the hiking is more difficult. And while we were there, there were actually uh, fires one year, and it made it even harder to hike because the trails weren't marked as well and things grew back. It, it just got really difficult to hike. And so again, the Park Service put up signs that said, look, if, if you don't have a lot of hiking experience, you probably want to stay out of the gorge. And so warning signs are kind of a part of our lives. It's filled with warning signs that say, proceed with caution. Watch out for falling rocks. Look out for curvy roads. And perhaps my favorite that we saw last year in Texas was, don't give rides to hitchhikers because they may have just escaped from the prison over there. All right, that was, the, that was the sign on the road. This may be an escaped convict that you're, I guess they didn't have good security. I don't know. Um, the, the book of Hebrews is a book that's filled with warning signs. But they're actually not warning signs for people who don't claim to be Christians. They're warning signs for people who do claim to be Christians. They're warning signs for people who are part of the covenant community. Uh, they're warning signs for people who are part of the church. And the warning is this. Don't fall away from the living God. Don't fall away from the living God. But the truth of the matter is that down through the ages, people have seen these warning signs and they haven't heeded them and they have fallen away from God. And so in chapter three this morning, we're going to be confronted with one of these warning signs and we're going to think about what it means and you're going to have to ask yourself at the end of this, all right, now what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do with this? Am I going to heed the warnings. So Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, this is God's word. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, 
where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Would you pray with me? Father, would you uh, help us as we are in one of the very sobering passages in Hebrews today? Um, pray that you'd help me to to handle this carefully and speak clearly, uh, and that you would give us ears to hear uh, these warnings from Scripture and and to pay attention to them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to think about four things from this text this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the danger of us running off the road. Uh, Secondly, why people run off the road. Thirdly, how we can stay on the road. And then finally, how do I know I'm on the right road? So first of all, just the reality of the the danger of running off the road. My um, freshman year at Auburn, a group of friends and I decided to go to Tallahassee for the Auburn-Florida State game, and it it is our first kind of freshman road trip, and it just started off poorly. We we drove an hour down the road before we remembered we needed tickets, Uh, and so we had to to go back and get those tickets, and then we made it to the game, and we lost the game, and then we, but we still had fun, but we lost the game, and then we were headed home, and somewhere on the way home, I fell asleep and drifted off the side of the road, and, and we were fine, but it was, as my father-in-law would say, it was sporting. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was an interesting experience. Um, when you're driving a car, that's actually a real danger. Even We don't think of that very often. I was sitting in a doctor's office this week watching whatever random was on the screen, and it said, this study just came out that said, Sleeping, lack of sleep actually impairs you more than alcohol does when you're driving. And so this is one of those things that's a danger, but we don't really think of it as being a real danger. I think sometimes Christians look at these warnings in the book of Hebrews and are kind of like, yeah, but that's not really for me. These are, these are, these are hypothetical dangers. Or there's somebody else, they're not directed at me. I, I made my decision for Jesus back in 2003, and that's all taken care of, and, and I don't need to worry about it anymore. But what Hebrews is warning us of here is actually a real danger. It's possible for someone to begin the race that is the Christian life and to actually not finish that race. For someone to decide for Jesus and then to actually fall away from the faith. Uh, fall away, as verse 12 puts it, from the living God. Now, how does that square with things like the doctrine of election? How does that square with things like uh, this idea of, of once saved, always saved? Which I think that's true. Once saved, always saved. I think the key there in that statement is the phrase, once saved. Once you are actually saved. 
because it's possible for people to have a, a spiritual experience um, of, of the things of God that just kind of scratches the surface but doesn't actually penetrate all the way to the heart and change their heart. It's possible to get caught up in the emotions of the moment. It's, po- it's possible to go through a Jesus phase. You know, Susan went through a big goth phase in high school, and then it, that didn't happen. But it's, it's trying to imagine that. But it's, but it's, but it's, it's possible to kind of go through a, a Jesus phase and be like, okay, well, that was that was just then. That was when I was in my twenties or whatever. Well, you say, well, well, doesn't Jesus keep those who are His? Yes, He does. He does do that, but He uses means to do that. And one of the means that Jesus actually uses to do that is these warnings of Scripture. So we're going to have a lot of car illustrations this morning, so you're just going to hang with me on this. But, but there's, there's potentially four cars, not the movie cars. There's potentially four cars in this room this morning that you might be riding in. Car one is, you, just, you, you really don't believe this. You're here today, you're kind of interested in hearing about it, but you don't really believe this. And so if, if Jesus is going this way, you're going in the other direction, and, and you're fine with that. So that's, that's car number one. Car number two is you're, you're following after Jesus. You, you hit a few bumps in the road. You kind of hit the rumble strips on the side. Every, you know, it can be rough sometimes, but you're trying to, to go after Jesus. Car three, you're kind of all over the road, all right? And you're swerving in and out of traffic, and you kind of go off the edge sometimes. But you see these warning signs that say, you know, sharp curve ahead, and you hit the brakes, and you slow down, and you make it through. Car four, you're driving recklessly too, but you see the warning sign and you ignore the warning sign. And you crash the car and you go flying over the cliff. And even if you make it, you get up and instead of walking after Jesus, you turn and you start walking back in the other direction. And the point I'm making is this. Those who are truly Christ will heed the warning sign. They may get a little fishtailing and run off the road every once in a while, but they're going to heed those warning signs and respond to those warning signs. And that's the way Jesus, one of the ways Jesus keeps those who are here, who are, who are his. But the danger is real, and the warning signs are real. Uh, just being a part of the church, just being a part of the covenant community doesn't mean you're automatically in. There are those who start the race, who would appear to be true believers, and yet they don't actually finish the race. They fall away from the living God. Well, you say, well, why? Well, show me that. All right, well, well, the example the writer of Hebrews uses is basically the people of God in the Old Testament. Uh, Here in verses 7 through 11, and notice how he starts this. He's quoting from the Psalms, and he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, so I, so I don't know how you generally feel about the, whole, about the Old Testament and, and the Psalms, but the writer of Hebrews says, this is God speaking, all right? And, and this is what happened. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then I won't read it again. Verse 16 through 18 kind of summarizes that same thing. Now, think back to the Old Testament. God's people were in slavery in Egypt. uh, And Pharaoh refused to let them go. 
And so God sends a series of plagues, and, and Pharaoh finally relents. He lets God's people go. They start on their way, and Pharaoh's like, what am I doing? And so he takes his army, and he goes after them. Uh, the, the Israelites are trying to get away. God parts the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea on the dry ground. Pharaoh's army comes in after them. God closes the sea back over them, and they're all destroyed. Now, you think, you and I think walking the aisle is a spiritual experience? That was a spiritual experience. You're being pursued by an army and a sea parts, and you cross to the other side, and God closes the sea back and kills the army that was pursuing you. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, quoting this passage, talking about this passage, he equates the passing through the Red Sea with a baptismal-like experience. Like, this was, a, this was a spiritual experience they had. And that's Exodus 13 and 14, where you read that. By the time you get to chapter 16, this is what you read. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so they start grumbling, like, we'd rather just still be in Egypt than going through this. And it doesn't get any better. God takes his people through the wilderness on the way to the promised land. He's testing their commitment to him. And they fail at this over and over and over again. And finally, they get to the doorway of the promised land. If you remember this story, they send spies in to scout out the land. And the spies come back and it's like, man, this is great. It's beautiful. It's everything God said. But there are these people there that we're really scared of. And I don't think we can take them. And we, we better not go in there. And everybody says that except for Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb and Joshua say, no, no, no. You need to trust the Lord. The Lord is going to enable us to overcome the inhabitants of the land. But the people listen to the other spies and say, no, we'd rather just go back to Egypt. And so God sentences that generation of Israelites now to go and wander in the the wilderness for 40 years. And none of those 20 and older, except for Joshua and Caleb, are able to enter the promised land. Now think about that. The entire generation went through the waters of, of the Red Sea. Spiritual experience, following God, they get to the promised land. And nobody gets to go in over the age of 20 except for Caleb and Joshua. Wilderness experiences show whether our faith is real or not. Challenges of life show whether our faith is real or not. The story I, or, or quote I read from in the new members class often, Ted Tripp talks about Uh, kids who go off to college and then leave the faith and he says this he said college wasn't the cause of his problem the real problem was that faith never took root in his heart to start with and so what new experiences or difficult experiences can reveal life in the wilderness can reveal problems in our heart that were already there and sometimes when these, our hearts are exposed, we see that there was never real, any real faith there, any real saving faith to start there. We were fine as long as everything was going okay. But then the wilderness experience showed what was really there. 
So this danger of falling away from God, is, it's a real danger, and we're, we're warned about it here. Well, the second thing I want to ask is, well, what, as people are driving along this road, why do they run off the road? What are some of the reasons people run off the road? Let me ask this question, and you don't, don't feel like you have to raise your hand or anything, but how many people have ever driven and texted at the same time? All right. Uh, all right. Why do you? Why do we do that? Why do you do that? Like we've all seen the stories, right, of the people who were texting and they ran into somebody and killed them, or they were posting something on social media and it's the last thing they ever posted and they ran in the back of a truck and, and killed. Like we we know all these stories, right? People tell us these stories all the time, and yet we continue to to try to text and drive. Now, why why do we do that? Well, I think there's two things going on. One, we're, we're kind of deceived by our phones. Uh, our phones are saying to us, come on, just, just respond. Just a little, little dopamine hit. You just need to text this real quick. It'll be fine. And we're also deceived by our own confidence and our own abilities. Because what runs through some of our minds is, man, I grew up driving a stick shift, and I could eat a McDonald's value meal and drink a milkshake and drive a stick shift and change a cassette at the same time. Texting is not that big a deal. Right? And so we, we, are, we are kind of deceived by our confidence in our own abilities. We're deceived and we don't believe. We, we don't believe the warnings. It's, it's not going to happen to me. It's not going to happen to me. Verse 13 here says that sin is deceitful. He says that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. Sin says, it's going to be okay. Come on, you can, you can leave the highway for just a little bit. It, it's okay. Yes, it's against what God says. But life is going to be easier if you do this. Things are going to go better for you if you do this. You, you'll enjoy yourself. Nothing's going to go wrong. There's not going to be any consequences. Nobody's going to find out about this. It's, it's, it's going to be okay. And so sin deceives us and if you think about the story of the bible that's how the the whole thing started right uh, satan appears to, to eve as a serpent and says don't you don't need to listen to god you're not going to die if you eat that fruit and eve looks at the fruit and we're told she sees that it looks good and it's going to taste good and wisdom is promised if she eats it so she eats it and she gives some to adam and he eats it as well it looks like a good thing it's promising good things and so they were Deceived. The same thing happens with King David later in the Old Testament. He's supposed to be off at war. Uh, instead, he stays home. He sees Bathsheba bathing, and he, she looks good, and so he takes her. Uh, they have sex. She gets pregnant. Uh, he winds up having her husband killed, and, and you know, it just this whole thing unravels. The child dies. He was deceived by sin. You know, I don't think anybody ever says... I'm going to disobey God because this is going to be awful. Like, I, I'm going to go do this because this is going to ruin everything. No, we're deceived. Just as uh, a, a dishonest car salesman gets the, the outside of the car looking nice and waxes it, but inside it's probably some flood vehicle that's only going to last 30 minutes. Like, it's dressed up, and so we buy it, but we're deceived, and it doesn't work out well for us. So sin is deceitful. 
But if, as you can see, there's a second thing going on in these illustrations I've used. It's not just that sin is deceitful. It's that Adam and Eve and David and the people of Israel and us, we just don't always believe God. We don't believe God. That, that what is driving this at the end of the day is unbelief. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. In verse 19, see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. If, if, you, if you keep peeling back the onion of sin long enough, you're always going to wind up at the root cause being unbelief. Unbelief. Martin Luther put it this way. The sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent, that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. Adam and Eve said, I, I don't believe you, God. This looks good. I don't trust you, so I'm not going to obey you. Right? There's, there's unbelief at the root there. So two questions on this. You're driving along in your car. What is it for you on the side of the road? Maybe it's a sign that's pointing to something, this exit two miles off the side of the road. What is it that's grabbing your attention and causes you to take your eyes off the road? It causes you to take your eyes off of Jesus. And then secondly, where is it that you're not trusting God? Where is it that you're not believing? You know, I think unbelief, it, it looks a lot like trying to draw life from something other than God. I don't believe that what I need uh, to make my life good can be found in God, and so I'm going to try to find it somewhere else. I'm going to find it in my career. I'm going to find it in what other people say about me or think about me. I'm going to find it in my children. I'm going to find it in my relationships. I'm going to find it in living the American dream. And so I begin to sink my roots down into that instead of sinking my roots down into God because I don't believe that true goodness and true joy can be found in God. And, and here's what I think is frightening about that, because you and I can go through the motions being in the church and going to church and being involved in Christian community and being moral, but the whole time we're sinking our roots down into something other than God. And it won't get exposed unless we go through the wilderness. And so we can go through long periods of time with living this illusion of everything's fine when really we're not sinking our roots down in the God. We're sinking our roots down in something else. How can I find that? How can I kind of be self-aware and, and, and dig around for those sorts of things? Ask this question. Uh, what do you do with your solitude? What do you do with your solitude? Where does... Where does your mind both most naturally rest when all the busyness is, is gone away? Like when you're not just busy doing everything and you just stop and have quiet for a little bit. Or maybe when you lay down to go to bed at night. Where does your mind most naturally get? And if, if we were to project all of our thoughts, I know that would be horrifying, but if we were to project all of our thoughts on the screen up here, what would we see? What would our thoughts say about where you and I are trying to put down roots and where we're trying to draw life and what we really believe? 
you know, there's, there can be something on the, on the side of the road that looks more attractive to us than the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And we start shooting these kind of mental and emotional roots down into that. And the roots get tangled up in it and they drag us off the road because we didn't believe that God was the one who would give us life and joy. And it's been exposed now. What was underneath the surface is being exposed. We didn't believe that God was the one we needed. Uh, or, or think about it like this. Think back to the Exodus generation. And think about how they wound up in unbelief. Things got rough. And so they started doubting God's goodness. And that led to grumbling. And then that led to contempt. And then that led to hardness of heart. And then that led to unbelief. And so my question for you to think about would be, you know, am I somewhere on that path this morning, doubting, grumbling, feeling contempt toward the things of God or the people of God? Uh, I'd encourage you actually to, to when it, at the doubting stage, to stop and to wrestle with that and to think about that, to, to wrestle with your doubts. Don't just say, well, I, uh, whatever, I just got to keep moving. No, think through those things that you're struggling with. Talk to somebody who loves Jesus about those doubts. Because examine doubts, if, if we deal with them rightly, can actually be occasions for our growth. But if we don't deal with them, they're just going to lead on to the next stage, to, to the grumbling, to the unbelief eventually. Uh, Tim Keller said this, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with their doubts. So we, it's possible for us to run off the road uh, because of the deceitfulness of sin, because of unbelief in our hearts. And so when we start having those doubts and those questions, when life is getting hard, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to worry about that. We need to actually examine those and think about those. Well, how do we stay on the road? If the danger is real... And if the deceitfulness of sin can pull us off the road, if our own unbelief can pull us off the road, what does this text tell us about how we stay on the road? What, what should we be doing? Verse 13 tells us to exhort one another every day. Uh, the language the NIV uses is encourage one another every day. Verses 1 through 6 talk about this house that Jesus has built. And it says that you are actually that house. That, that you and I are not like these tiny little new houses that are you know, so small you live in by yourself. Uh, we're not like individual Christians in tiny little houses, but we're actually in one big house together. Peter's, in 1 Peter says we're living stones sandwiched in next to each other in this temple that God is building. Uh, and so to go back to our, our car illustrations, uh, you're not in the car by yourself. You're not in the car by yourself. Um, there are other people in there with you. Have, have you ever tried to stay awake driving by yourself when you're really sleepy? Like you, you're just all alone 
All right, so, so what I'll do is, is I'll roll down the windows and turn on the AC as, as high as it will go, even if it's in the middle of winter. Uh, and then I'll turn you two up as loud and just sing as loud as I can to keep myself awake. And sometimes I'll do that even with people in the car, which, which they really enjoy. But, but we, we've all had the experience of looking to the person next to us in the car and saying, you've got to help me stay awake. I need, I'm going to need you to talk to me or I'm going to fall asleep. Or I need you to look for deer and, and make sure we don't crash into one. And so we need this person beside us in the car to exhort us. And to encourage us. God's placed you in the car with, some, with someone. And they may be falling asleep right now. And you are responsible as a brother or sister in Christ to exhort them. And to encourage them to, to, to stay awake and to keep their eyes on the road. To remind them of the deceitfulness of sin and the dangers of unbelief. And the goodness of God to us in Jesus Christ. Some of us need to be exhorted. Uh, we've, we've got our earbuds in, and we're not paying attention to anybody else. And, and, and we need to, to take the earbuds out and listen to what the people in the car are trying to say to us. Others of us, this is a big car, others of us are actually in the back. It's like a Suburban, and we've kind of camped out in the back. We don't want anything to do with anybody else. We're just trying to hide out in the back corner of the car. And that's a very dangerous place to be as well. Uh, we need to be exhorted by the other people in the car, and we need to be able to encourage the other people in the car. Um, secondly, how do we stay on the road? We exhort one another. We need to remember where we're going. We need to remember where we're driving to. Verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. We need to remember where it is that we're going on our vacation that was filled with with so much car trouble uh, there were temptations at times to just say you know what we're just going to turn around and we're just going to go back home okay uh, because it had just become so much effort and we face that temptation in the christian life at times also to just kind of say man i think things were better back there in egypt and, and I think I'm just going to turn around and go home. And we have to be reminded of that really wasn't all it was cracked up to be. You were actually in slavery in Egypt. And we have to remember where it is that we're going. We're, we're headed for the promised land. Uh, we, are, we, are, we are headed for heaven. Uh, we are headed to the place where there's going to be no more sin and no more suffering and no more pain. And so when things get rough around us, we have to keep our eye on that and remember where we're heading. And finally, we're told here to consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Uh, the first recipients of Hebrews, if you remember, they are considering going back to the Old Covenant. Going back to some form of Old Testament religion. And the, the writer of Hebrews is constantly saying to them, guys, all of that was never supposed to be the end point. It was all pointing us to Jesus Jesus is better. Jesus is better than angels. And then in the text this morning, Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was great. He was faithful. He was a good dude. He was faithful in God's house. But he was just a servant. Preparing the way for Jesus. Jesus is the son who is the builder of the house. It doesn't make any sense to, to, to go back to that. It makes sense to stay with Jesus. And so, so much of what the writer of Hebrews does is he reminds us, 
This is how excellent Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the one who has proclaimed the word of God. He is the apostle and high priest of our, of our confession. Um, he is the one who has sacrificed himself for us. He is the one who has defeated death for us. He is the one who is leading us to the promised land. Why in the world would you want to turn around and quit following Jesus? There's a scene in the movie The Patriot where the, uh, the American troops are starting to retreat in the heat of battle. And the guy carrying the flag is actually running away. And Mel Gibson sees what's happening. And he grabs the flag and he runs back in the other direction. He says, you can't retreat. And he leads them back into battle. And I picture that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. He sees these people starting to go back in the other direction. And he's grabbing the flag of the cross, as it were. And he's running back and he's holding up Jesus to them. And he says, don't you see Jesus? Don't you see who he is and what he has done for you? You can't go back to that. You can't retreat. You have to keep following him. He's, he's, he's grabbing the flag of the gospel, as it were, and saying, come on. Hold on to your confidence. Hold fast to Jesus. Don't turn around. Well, how do I know that I'm on the right road finally? We've, we've, we've seen the danger we've seen the reasons we go off the road we've seen some some help in staying on earth how do i know i'm on the right road i'll just say this in john chapter 6 many of jesus's followers are actually turning around and jesus comes to peter and says peter you want to turn around too everybody else is turning around do you want to turn around too and peter says lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The road really is difficult, and we all swerve off the edge at times. But if you continue to, to, to follow after Jesus, because you know there really is no other place to go, there really, he really does have the, the words of eternal life. If you continue to come back to him, when you, when, you, when you crash off the side of the road, you get back up and get the car back on the road, you repent and you embrace Jesus again. That's how you know you're on the right road. You keep following after him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you that through faith in Jesus we can be made right with you. And thank you for these warnings that you give us to telling us that we need to examine ourselves and to make sure we're not just playing church or playing Christianity, uh, to make sure to examine our confession and to make sure that that's a real confession that's gone all the way to our hearts. Father, would you help us to see? Uh, and, and if faith is lacking, Father, would you work faith in us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.